There are two readings this evening. If you've got a spare finger and you're following them in the Bible, you might like to put your finger in page 509, which is 2 Samuel 22. But the first reading is on page 897, Psalm 61. And this psalm is ascribed to King David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, for his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then will I ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. And the second reading, 2 Samuel chapter 22, on page 509, starting with verses 1 to 4, and then skipping to 17 to 20. David's Song of Praise. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold my refuge and my saviour from violent men you save me. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. From on high and took hold of me, and now from verse 17, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us clearly now through your word. Give us understanding and give us a determination to be obedient, to please you in the way we respond. Lord, we pray that through your Holy Spirit now, your word would come alive to us, that it would change each one of us, and that our response would please you in every way. 
We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Right. The rock that is higher than I. One of the many elements of teaching that we have been using about this lovely little book, Incomparable, which has very short chapters about different aspects of God and his name. So tonight we are into this marvellous psalm, 61, and the other reading you had, 2 Samuel, uh, both of which we'll be looking at, 2 Samuel first, that also became a psalm. It became Psalm 18, interestingly, but we've gone for the 2 Samuel version. David's great song of praise when he realises that God has defeated all his enemies and is really looking after him and is delighting in him. At the end of this talk, we're going to go straight into a song we'd actually hoped to play tonight, but we couldn't find the sheet music. So apologies, but we're going to use a YouTube. It's a lovely little song. The background is every year it is used all over Sussex for year six Church of England school leavers at their leavers celebrations. And it comes in between all the different prayers, past, present, future, which have been written by children over the years. So at the end of each section, we have, hear my prayer, O Lord. So let's just be reflective at the end of the talk. Let God speak to us in the quiet and join in the announcement, if that suits. But we're going to have that. It's only two minutes, but that's how we're rounding off and there'll be no announcements and everything. And... Uh, Hopefully that will just help us to respond as the Lord wishes us to. Right, a quote from this book, Incomparable. Today, the picture of God as a rock may suggest all sorts of things to us. Solid ground on which to build, the New Testament kind of approach perhaps. Unwavering strength, even wonderful views from mountaintops. But in the Old Testament, Israel... It referred to a place of safety, refuge, and shelter. A rock was a place where you were safe, both from the weather and from your enemies. That's Andrew Wilson explaining what all this talk about the rock and high places would mean to the Jewish nation. Psalm 61 could well be called something like a shelter fit for a king. The two short extracts from 2 Samuel 22, which is a long chapter, it clearly was something which became a song of praise. It almost had to become a psalm. It was just like a psalm, full of imagery, full of poetry, and it almost certainly would have been used um, in the temple over the hundreds of years before Jesus. So, many of the Ideas, symbols, and Old Testament attempts to describe Yahweh, the personal name of God, are reflected in both these passages. They're quite similar in style. We know for sure that one was David's words. We're not so sure about Psalm 61, although he is mentioned at the top of it. So it was either written for him, by him, with him, at his time. But certainly David is uh, very much reflected here. And they remind us of one thing above all else. They remind us of God's constant desire to deliver, to save, to rescue, 
and to protect his people from their enemies. And perhaps too we could extend that and say from their own sinfulness and disobedience. And that heads towards perhaps a more New Testament aspect. Just a quick reading from this book about what life was like, probably around Jesus' time, but it wouldn't have changed much in terms of the, the scenery, the, the feel uh, of Israel at that time. This is from the Jewish historian Josephus, who actually was one of the very first secular historians who talked about Jesus, a very important historian. And he wrote from, I think, AD 37, something like that, and beyond up to 100 AD. This is what he says about the uh, topography of, of the land. These rocks were in mountains that were extremely sheer, and around them were nothing but precipices. There were some entrances into the caves, but they were surrounded by sharp rocks. And this is where the brigands lay, hidden, with all their families about them. It is impossible to get up to them because of the steep sides of the mountains, nor to get down to them from above. So a rugged countryside. And brigands, yes, but also refugees, also those who were being chased, perhaps, for their faith and being sought by the authorities, the New Testament times as the church was growing. So let's just have a quick look at the 2 Samuel section and those verses there. This is a very lengthy song. It's lovely. We didn't do the whole thing tonight. There wouldn't have been time. But it talks of David's deliverance by God. Not just sort of salvation, God bringing him close, but saving him from mortal danger, from being killed by foreign enemies of his point. David had huge experience of danger. If you go right back to his shepherd boy experience, when suddenly he's facing Goliath, David knew danger most of his life. And then you have that time when David has been anointed, but he has a long waiting before he actually becomes king. Samuel anoints him, and then, for however many years, David seems to be chased around and to be at risk of being captured. He was always loyal to King Saul, but he was seeking to capture him. And David was hiding in caves and all sorts of stuff. So he knew danger. He was even a cave dweller, the greatest king of them all. Uh, but he had tough times. He also had problems with his family, as perhaps we all do from time to time. But he had major problems, partly of his own making. And that included rebellion by one of his sons. I'll mention him later. So David was up against it virtually all the time, even before God had chosen him to be king. Or even before people knew that God had chosen him to be king. So here we have in this whole section, and the verses Tim read are just a good uh, example of that. David is using very powerful images and poetry, really, and seeing all the credit for his survival, for his great victories, and his worldly success as king. He's giving all the credit to God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my shield, the horn of my salvation, stronghold, refuge, saviour. The full works. He's giving all the credit to God, acknowledging 
what God has done for him. And there's a lesson for us there. The word rock I discovered in my concordance, which may not agree with everybody's concordance, uh, the word rock comes about 14 times in the Old Testament, only five in the New. We are going to come to the New a bit later. But what struck me was that God is not actually just a protective, defensive protector for his people. He's also an active rescuer. He intervenes in history. He has intervened. Those lovely verses that Tim read, the second section, verse 17 in 2 Samuel 22. We have a God who reaches down, extends his hand to use human terms. From that great height, the great God we've worshipped, high and mighty, his hand comes out and takes hold of King David in his extreme situation and he draws him out of deep waters. And that is the same God that we have now. And we sometimes, I think, use the word salvation in a rather technical sense, you know, based on Romans. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, it's, it's fantastic stuff. As some of us have been going through it recently, we keep marveling at how brilliant it is. However, at times we can see that as almost a legal kind of where we stand with God, as opposed to we have been rescued. We would have died in every way. Body, soul, spirit. We would have gone. We'd have been a goner. But for that intervention. And I think here we have in this lovely passage a reminder that God is mighty to save. Zephaniah 3 that comes from. Even better. Verse 20 into Samuel 22. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. There's a sense in which it's saying here, God does lovely things for his chosen king, but similarly for his people. When they please him, he loves to give and to give and to give and to keep us safe. So here is something fantastic about our active, intervening, uh, absolutely involved God. It's not just, you know, saved by the blood of Jesus, we go to heaven. All those things are right. But there is a sense in which he has stooped incredibly low in his great holiness. And he, for us individually, has taken us out of deep waters and dealt with all that clings to us and drags us down. It's a lovely picture. Verses 31 to 36 are rather good as well, and I think I'm tempted to just ask Jill to put them up if she can. And if you look there, uh, there's a, a sense of God being perfect in what he does, a shield for all who take refuge in him. Who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock with a capital R except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way, way perfect. And so it goes on. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. And so, here's a God who's really on the side of his chosen king. And I think by extension by his, uh, towards his people too. So let's go to Psalm 61, which is 
supposedly the main aspect of, of tonight, it, it probably will come across as equal uh, to what we've just had. This psalm is a prayer for God to restore the psalmist, be it David or somebody else, to God's presence and his protection. A king is mentioned in verse 6, you will see. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. And that could well be for King David. And possibly around the time when Absalom, his son, was rebelling and David had to clear off from his palace for a time. He did know extreme times, some of them of his own making, David, but he always seemed to come back with this deep, deep knowledge of the character of God. So, verse 1, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. Absolute certainty in the psalm that God is there, he is present, he listens, and he's a God who will take us to a secure place from the extremes of our life, the furthest part of the world, when we're most distant from safety. He will deal with that and he will look after us. David is confident this is not just a prayer for form, it's a prayer because he really believes it and knows his God. The place of security David knows, of absolute security, is beyond our reach. There's nothing we can do. It's only through God who brings us to a safe place. Only by grace can we enter. That thought in that first song that we sang. God is called the rock of refuge, place of safety, where we can hide and be secure. In quite a few Psalms, just a few, 31, 71, 18, which you'd have guessed from what I said earlier, based on 2 Samuel 2, Psalm 62, and Psalm 94. That idea of the rock of refuge. And God himself is the higher rock, not just any rock. He's a rock that is so high, there is total, absolute safety. No enemy can reach us when he has reached down and pulled us up. We have sanctuary with him, and David knew that from his own experience. David, above all, was aware, in spite of all his failings, and he had many, he was a pretty poor parent. He brought up quite a tricky lot, and he didn't seem to deal with them terribly effectively. But he always had that sense of God's unfailing love and of the fact that God was with him when he came close to God, had his sins dealt with. There's a lovely thought in verse 4 about the psalmist longing to dwell in your tent, in your tabernacle, forever, to actually live alongside God, his presence in the tabernacle, and to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. The metaphors are pretty mixed all around here, there's lots of them, but under the cover of God's wings, what would be a safer place than his tabernacle, where his presence is, and under the cover of God's wings. They do like emotional, poetic sort of stuff, the Old Testament preachers and writers. Here's a comment from my favourite commentator on uh, the Psalms, Alec Mattia. The wings speak of God's personal care. Like small chicks 
under the wings of a mother bird. That little lovely picture. And he says that the rock that is higher, verse 2, is the perch for our top security. Loveliest of all, says Mattia, in our tininess and insignificance, we can try being a day-old chick. Come to God in that frame of mind. Compared to him, that's what we are, running around or falling over, helpless, unable to save ourselves from the power of sin and all that might assail us, from the enemies around us. We can try being a day-old chick and run to his sheltering wings. That's the image of the kind of God we have. Verse 5, which um, is an interesting one, probably refers to the heritage of the Jewish people, the promised land, the covenants, the Old Testament covenants, and God rescuing them, be it the Red Sea, be it the Passover, a God who saves, but in that saving is a complete rescue, a rescue mission from dire circumstances. And he talks about those who fear your name. And they are the people who have had their sins forgiven, who are at peace with God and living in line with his and their promises. Those who are sticking close to God. If we don't fear God, we probably will be disobedient. If we fear him in the right way, respect him, acknowledge our smallness compared to him, then we, we can get there. And finally, verses 6 uh, and 7, we have this prayer for the king's long life. And it could have been inserted by a different psalmist, some other person who knew David, and made us be a, a prayer for King David. Or even another king, though most of them were a bit ropey, so I suspect it probably is David. There were only, I think, four kings who got a good write-up in one kings, two kings. So let's, I think we can safely assume it probably was for or by David. And it's looking for God's covenant promises and blessings to come. So probably used in the temple by the high priests. We are getting towards the end. I'm going to come to a New Testament context in a minute. However, verses 6 and 7 have also been applied within the Jewish nation over the years to the coming Messiah. It's not just the king at the time they were written. A lot of people think there's an element of prophecy in this, even those who don't see Jesus as the Messiah even now. If they were talking about it, referring at least partially to the coming king, the Messiah, then Alec Matthias says they were thinking ahead accurately. That's what this passage has an element of. So, I discovered that Matthew Henry, another commentator I delve in, though it's incredibly long-winded 17th century stuff at times, but brilliant, he identifies Jesus as the rock the one who's been there from the beginning of creation. The New Testament writers refer to the rock five times, and I'm not talking about cornerstones and all that sort of stuff, which is a slightly different thought, but rock. So I'm going to just simply refer to one of these uh, passages. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. They, that's the forefathers of 
these people, all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That's Paul's teaching about the Old Testament instances of when God was tending to his people through the manna and getting water from the rock. The rock was Jesus. Jesus was active then. Hard to get our heads round, perhaps. So the rock from which the water came and the manna was a continual sustenance for God's people. He looked after them. He fed them. He enabled them to drink, to stay alive. And they are symbolic, too, of what we gain through Jesus in these New Testament times. The bread of life and the water of life, if we look at John 4, uh, verse 14, chapter 6, verses 30 to 35. It's all linked. So, God is, and that's God in three, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the rock that is higher, much higher than each one of us. He is our faithful protector, each person here, and all of us together as his church, as his people. He hears our prayers, and he acts when we are in difficulty. We simply have to call, and it may not be a nice, comfortable outcome, as we know from this morning about Christians suffering for their faith, but he will deliver us ultimately from all our enemies. He will rescue us from the devil, from death, and from the consequences of our own sins. He wants us to trust him for what he is, and to be able to say, like David, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And we have that eternal security too through Jesus. I'm just going to end with two other New Testament verses which give an element of this teaching, uh, what we've learned from these passages. Firstly, from uh, another one of Paul's letters, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. And it's that thought of rescue again. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That's lovely, isn't it? The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And then the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 13 says this. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Let's just be still before the Lord. We're going to have the responsive song, Hear My Prayer, shortly. Just allow the Lord to pick out something really significant from those passages for you. And let's just respond in the silence.